Today I'm joined by Inside the Pylons. Thank you very much for coming on the show. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you're looking to find your edge in sports betting or racing, you'll need to visit the Betfair Hub. From analysis to betting psychology, it has everything that you need. Simply visit betfair.com.au slash hub. Today, I'm joined by Inside the Pylons. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jake. Good, good being here. So we're going to talk wagering and a little bit of horse racing, probably, and some general general stuff around around betting. To get us started here, do you mind just running through a bit of your history in, in wagering and as it pertains to racing? Yeah, I uh, started going to racetrack when I was a kid with my grandparents, and uh just kind of mushroomed there. I was became, you know, super interested in it. And, uh, basically from the time I was 16, I just, everything I did was trying to get to the track and being at the track and betting and learning about betting and then kind of moved on to other things, you know, just expanded my wagering stuff when I was probably 19 or 20, I started playing poker and betting on sports and, uh, but I always went to the races basically every day or bet on races every day. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I've basically done pretty much everything where a gambler can have an edge, you know, from, uh, you know, race betting on racing. Like I said, all, all the, all the games where you can have an edge, uh, you know, playing at Betfair when it started, uh, you know, and just throughout the years, that's basically all I've done. Do you recall some of the earlier edges that you were able to find, even as a teenager or a young man, that stand out that obviously these days is no longer relevant and seems like a, a long memory? Uh, yeah, when I first started racing, betting and racing was pretty basic. It was, you know, when play show, and occasional exacta and daily double. And then once it started to expand into you know, the first big thing was a pick three and they had one a day. And that was, that was basically, you know, the first, they had pick sixes also, uh, the pick six and the pick threes were the things I exploited pretty much when I was younger, uh, knowing how to play them and figuring out how to play them. And then, you know, other bets came on board trifectas and superfectas and, uh, you know, then the pick four came after that. And just basically the more complicated wagers was what I was looking at. And, uh, cause being around the racetrack, you know, back then you had to be at the racetrack and you kind of looked around at your competition and said, you know, I'm smarter than these people and realized that the more complicated the bet was, the bigger edges you had. And, uh, you know, you just, I tried to figure out everything I could with those bets because the other bets were just, you know, were, were basic and there just wasn't big edges on them. Uh, the bigger edges were obviously in the more complicated bets. And uh, that's kind of where I gravitated to and spent all my time learning the ins and outs of all of them. What was the process of education back then? Was it just listening to people around the track and trying to navigate what was rubbish and what was useful for you? Or especially on some of those more complicated betting options, what were you able to do that others might not have been doing at the time to be able to get an advantage? Yeah, just, it was figuring, it was just figuring stuff out, you know, uh, being a contrarian on a lot of things like, uh, uh, superfectus, for instance, when they came out, like, you know, I just noticed everybody would play in a certain area, you know, a, a chalky area. And, uh, that if I could get outside of that area, that the payoffs were enormous and usually paid way more than they should have been. You you could, you could gauge it. You you could see that the extra leg on the try, you, you could gauge it by looking at the try prices to the super prices. And that's how I figured out that getting that, getting that extra leg on something that wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't something that everybody was had or in, was in that area was, was a huge multiplier. And so kind of, 
you know, you just, you just see things and you learn from there and then you try to figure out the best way to exploit it. And like super effective, that was one, you know, you had to figure out that if you got the favorite out of the number that everything multiplied greatly more than it should. If you got a big price on top that, that multiplied it even more, you know, just little things like that. You basically had to figure out what you had to do to not be what other people are doing and you needed to find races that fit that mold. And uh, same thing with pick threes, pick fours. Uh, uh, you just needed to find sequences that, you know, weren't, you need to find sequences that could fit something to where you could be against the crowd. And it was logical that that could happen. You know, just the crowd always gravitates towards groupings of horses or a horse in sequences and you need to figure out what those, you know, what those horses are and find places where you can get away from the crowd and multiply, you know, the payoffs enormously compared to what they're supposed to be. And back then the, the minimums were higher and it was much, it, it was much easier to do. And the minimums made it to where they paid better. Now the minimums are a little bit lower for whatever reason, this should be higher, but you know, contrary to what they should be, that's what racing's done. And now that the minimums are lower, people can spread a little bit more, so the area becomes wider. But some races they become much wider, uh, and other races because they still keep the same narrows. So you need to know what races you need to be able to figure out what races they're widening now. You know, compared to the old days where you just kind of knew where they were because of the higher minimums. So it, it, it's, you know, it evolves all the time and you just got to adapt and change with every new thing that happens, you know, shorter fields nowadays too. That's another problem because everybody, you know, that, that narrows everything down. So it's just, you know, it's just getting worse and, you know, you need to, you need to fight. The edges are smaller basically is what it comes down to. Do you remember your betting approach back then or betting strategy throughout the first, let's just say, 10 years of your, your betting life? Was it something you look back on and makes you laugh or were you pretty sound even early on? No, when I was early, I was crazy. Like, that's that's one thing. Like, I was, I was wild. I'd bet whatever I had in my pocket. Just it didn't matter. You know, I was younger and, you know, I could turn them, you know, I... I could turn the toothpick into a lumber yard and, you know, it was just different back then. I didn't care. You know, I could win a lot of money. I could lose a lot of money. It was just basically play money. That's the way I looked at it. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's okay to do that because you learn from it and you need to learn. It teaches, it actually, it, it does teach you one thing, which most people need to be as gamblers and that's to be fearless. And uh, if you've never learned the art of being fearless, then you kind of, when you have an edge, obviously, then you kind of, you know, don't have that tool in your bag, which really propels you to the next level. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I wasn't anything like I am today, but I take everything that I've learned from all of that and kind of molded it into what I think is, you know, good to be, you know, a great gambler nowadays so you know it's not so much plugging the leaks it's just you know basically you can you cannot have leaks if you don't want to is basically what it comes down so you just kind of stick to the good stuff you know that's basically it's basically the best thing to do if you're trying to win so do you think you would be a different type of better or gambler now if you were betting five or ten dollars each race on a win place or show as opposed to being more reckless and maybe more fearless and also learning some of the don'ts pretty quickly and with uh, large or larger losses versus something more conservative yeah i mean every everything you do kind of changes you like you know uh like i told you i was reckless you know i was just crazy when i was younger and then I leveled off and became more, you know, conservative. But then back when I first got my rebate, I realized when I, when I, back when I switched from just being a 
a player that had to win without a rebate, which uh, I was doing. Then once I got the opportunity to get a rebate, I instantly realized that being reckless again was the right strategy. So I, you know, I went from reckless to conservative to now realizing that reckless and creating volume, you know, just throwing everything against the wall you could. And I, when I mean reckless, not just, you know, I mean, smart, reckless, you know, just trying to create as much volume and bet as much as quickly as you could was the right strategy. So I'd already had that at a younger age. And now I went right back to it once I first got the rebate. And, uh, you know, so like I said, things change, you have to adapt every, you know, everything you do, you need to learn from and, you know, learn what's right and what's wrong and be able to, you know, figure out what the best strategy is moving forward with each situation, with each new situation you're given, whether it's a bet or a rebate or, you know, a, a track, a new track, you know, something like that. It's just everything's new or changing in this game, basically. Tell us a little bit about the rebate scenario, either directly as it impacted you or, or more broadly that you've heard about throughout the industry. Do you think that it was something that positively affected, I'll start with you know professional gamblers first and we can talk more broadly, but do you think that was overall a positive thing for the sharper players out there? Well, the rebates were definitely positive, something, uh, positive for the sharper players. It was basically, and an, the industry should have just lowered takeout instead of giving rebates to its biggest bettors. But they were looking to keep their biggest bettors interested and possibly increasing their handle and, you know, possibly bringing new people into the game, which will bet because of the rebate. Now, you know, I think they should have just lowered takeout for everybody. But once they did that and, you know, it kind of messed that up. But when the rebates first started, the host fees were low and the rebates were huge. And now the re the host fees have gone up and the rebates have been cut dramatically. So it's kind of weaned, weaned a bunch of people off of wagering on races or cut their handle down dramatically. Uh, you know, I'm a case of that. I used to bet a ton once I first got it, my handle increased dramatically, increased almost, geez, over tenfold over a period of two years. It, you know, I thought when I first got the rebate that I, my handle might double you know, at best. And I, like I told you, I immediately within like a week realized that that's not the right strategy anymore. And, but now as host fees have risen and the rebate has lowered because of the host fees rising and the product has deteriorated immensely all over the country, all jurisdictions. So you have prices going up and product deteriorating at the same time. It's, just inevitable that your handle will go down. So that's basically where we're at now. And there's no, you know, there's no change that's ever going to happen. The takeout's never going to be lowered in my, my guess, you know, anything that's drastic, just the way the system's set up. So, you know, rebates are basically the only way you have for a takeout reduction for anybody that's price sensitive or really wants to try to win at this game over the long run. It sounds like before rebates, you were more conservative and obviously ROI would have been very critical or at least your, your win percentage and win rate in order to make money. And then once that shifted to the rebates, you were more worried about volume. And at that point, were you did you need to net and net win out or were the rebates even allowing you to lose a small amount and, and net you would have been positive? Yeah, before the rebate, I obviously had to show a positive ROI. And to do that, I had to work diligently to gain the information before the races by watching videos and stuff like that and keeping notes. And, you know, I had to do hours and hours of work every week, every day to be able to win without the rebate. And obviously when you're doing that and don't have the rebate is what I would consider a small as a crutch to boost your handle up you can't bet as much either. So 
you can't bet as much and you have to win at a higher percentage to make X amount of dollars to, you know, to, to make a living. As soon as the rebate comes into play, you now have an extra amount of money that you're getting from the rebate. So if you're betting, let's say you're betting a million dollars a year and you're, you're holding 10%, well, you're making a hundred thousand dollars before. And that's, that's, you know, that's without a rebate. So now if you get the rebate, if you get a rebate and back then, you know, the rebates were very good. If you get a rebate and you, let's say your handle bumps up to $10 million, but you're, but you're losing, let's say 8% instead of winning 8%, but your rebates back then was maybe 13%. Well, you're betting 10 million. So now you're holding 5% after the rebate, after you get the 13% rebate off of losing 8%. So now you're winning $500,000, even though you've gone from a 10% positive ROI on the million to an 8% negative ROI on the 10 million, you're still winning five times as much. So that's why you can multiply your handle so much and your handle just escalates. And like I said, you, you spend your time, like as soon as the rebate came in, I spent no time now doing work and gaining an opinion to where I could win without a rebate to now I basically spending time working was a waste of money because I should spend all that time betting. And even though I was less sharp, you make more money that way because it multiplies your handle and holding way less of a percentage after rebate is obviously way more money in your pocket. Do you think you can just hypothetically be uh, pre-rebate for five years, let's say, then you're on the rebate scheme for 10 years and then you've got another five years after that where you're off the rebates. Can you bounce back from being someone who needs to win and needs to to find a way to get to 10% ROI, for example, and then going back into the negatives to be able to survive and make more money and then being asked to, to go back to that must must win zone do you think that has an impact on your ability to do that having a long period of time where you have more comfort i would say within the rebate zone it it all changes like you still need to be sharp but you need to be sharp in the betting arena instead of the handicapping arena it doesn't like you know i i'm honest with everybody i'm too lazy to do the work now if i did the work and bet i'd win more money i admit it i'd do better but now it's just since I since I went from since I went from doing no work and being able to bet a lot of money, and when I mean work, I mean pre work. Like I'll still look at a race for a minute or two, sometimes a little bit more if it's if I realize I want to bet that race. But like you know, I, there's no more you know three looking three hours and doing the work on a on a one race card, you know, before the race card. So what happens is like. I'm, I just, you know, I, I've learned to do it the other way. And like, I could do better if I did the work, but I just, you know, I don't want to do the work. I just don't, I just can get by betting now. And even though the rebates have gone down, my handle gone, my handle has gone down because I'm more selective. I, I don't, you know, I don't bet with reckless abandon anymore. Like I did when the first rebates come out. So that's, that's where the drain is on handle is that as the rebates go down and as the product deteriorates, then you need to be a little, you need to be more selective. Like right now, if, if I just got a rebate from winning, I couldn't get as reckless as I was when the rebate, when I got my first rebate, you know, seven, 17 years ago or whatever it was. Um, if the games change, it's just different. Like, it, you know, like I said, everything changes and each, you know, each situation's different. And like right now, there's no way that you could be as reckless. If you were, if you were winning now and you went to a rebate, there's no way you could be as reckless. And just like if back then, if they took the rebate away, I could still do very well without the rebate. If I did the work now with the product deterioration, it would, you know, I'm sure I could still win. And, you know, there are years I still I still win without the rebate being win before the rebate, but 
it's just it's it's just would be very tough it'd be very tough to do you know go back to that and it just you pretty much want to try if you're smart enough to do that you're smart enough to do something else and make more money is what it comes down to yeah what about the impact of rebates on the general betting community not necessarily the professional or sharp category but just across the board weekend warriors or you know the retired guy that likes to read the the form guide and then place a few bets has that been net positive or net negative the rebates are just you know extra money to the players that bet the most um it basically keeps the smarter people betting longer and in any gambling game anything that keeps the smarter people betting longer is going to hurt the unsmart people you know you know at whatever level it is you know the smart the 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 and and don't get me wrong a vast the vast majority of people getting a rebate lose that's what most people don't understand. I mean, I know from the places I've bet what the percentages of consistent winners who get the rebate are compared to losers at those places. And it's astronomical. I mean, even though you're getting a rebate, you know, that doesn't mean you're going to win. I mean, the highest, the highest place I've ever bet at was pretty close to 10% of people that betting at that place that, you know, were consistent winners, which is scary because it's still telling you that 90% of the people that are losing, 90% of people that are getting a rebate are either losing or can't win consistently. You know, they might win one year, lose the other or whatever, or they might have one big score one year and then lose three, whatever. But of the consistent winners getting a rebate, it's way lower than people would think. Like people think you're getting a rebate and you're automatic winner. And that's, 100 percent false i mean it's so untrue uh you know and like nobody believes it and you know it's just it's tough for people to conceive because people people that aren't getting the people that aren't getting rebate think well if i was getting rebate i'm gonna i would win it's just not that easy so but the the, the detriment it has is it keeps it keeps it keeps the winners in the pools longer and for probably more money which takes away a little bit, but what it takes away is a fraction. I mean, I mean, 1%, you can't even estimate, like it might increase a loser's takeout by 1%, a half a percent. I don't, it can't be any more than that because there are very few betters winning before the rebate. So they're losing two into the pools. So, you know, with the bigger betters creating liquidity and, you know, it's kind of a, you know, I'd say it's a wash just because it gives something to the little guys to fire at. And, you know, it's all any gambling game where the, the smartest guys are in the, there's more smarter guys in the game. It's going to hurt the, the, the little guys is what it comes down to. But like I said, from the beginning, they should have just lowered takeout for everybody, but they didn't want to do that. They just figured they'd do it to their best customers. And this is this is the system they've got. So they're going to have to live with it. Have you encountered many useful innovations across your time in the wagering space? I know you spoke about the Betfair exchange earlier or mentioned it. Uh, some of the expanded betting options through to pick three to pick six and things like that. Have there been anything that you thought were very useful changes and, and racing adapting to the wagering landscape? Uh, yeah, I mean, Betfair was great in its early days. Um, you know, it was, you know, it, it gave everybody an opportunity to do what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And, you know, it's much, it was much easier to win on there for the masses, you know, uh, created innovation. It brought people in that never played horses before, stuff like that. But then once they sold it, it became you know, it started with the premium charges and stuff. It was, it just never was the same. I, I don't even go on there anymore, but people tell me liquidity's way down and everybody's been driven to their, their actual place where they book their own bets. So, um, but yeah, in the early days of Betfair, it was, it was the best thing ever. And they should have, if they could ever get anything like that here in North America, that would be the greatest scenario possible. Just a, you know, a free exchange, 
you know, when I mean free exchange, it means, I mean, nobody throwing out winners or anything, uh, uh, or charging winners more just, you know, just an exchange with somewhere between a two and a 5% commission rate and just let people, you know, go at it, you know, like, you know, when Betfair was first started, I, I do my work and, you know, I'd like a horse and I take on the world, you know, it's, if everybody thought the horse had a bigger, everybody else, you know, thought the horse had less of a chance. I, I just say, you know, keep coming and, you know, stuff like that. And I, you know, I, I normally just bet on, I, I didn't lay and, uh, yeah, I would find races like turf paradise, stuff like that, where I really liked horses and would just, you know, take on, take on whoever wanted to take on my opinion. And because I felt I was smarter than everybody else, you know, when I really liked something and, you know, th- that was good. I mean, whenever you can capitalize on your opinion, you know, and make, make good money off of it. And when you're right, it, you know, at a low takeout, that's great. But then like they started not liking people that were winning and taking money out and not paying enough commissions and that kind of got ruined. So, but that, that's, that's the best, that's the, that's the best thing I've ever seen that I think would drive racing into the next level. But like I said, once again, it would have to be the perfect, it would have to be the perfect exchange. Like, you know, just fair to everybody and you know kind of like some of the exchanges i think that are in asia right now that are you know run behind closed doors and stuff but uh you know great liquidity and stuff like that but you know racing would never allow that to happen here the way it needs to be done so it's you know a moot point basically i want to talk a little bit about your philosophy on wagering and i guess my first question around that is when you were at the peak of your powers and you were you know, had your best ROI and things like that. Are there any elements that stood out from that period of time that you remember, whether it be betting execution, whether it be some strategy elements, whether it was how you were handicapping and thinking about the the, the race itself? Are there things that come to mind from that perspective? Back then when I was when I was when I was at when I was at my best, my opinion was great and I knew how to attack my opinion. And that's the one thing that people need to learn is when you have a good opinion and you get an opportunity to invest in your good opinion, you need to attack it. You need to attack, you need to, you need to attack your opinion in all pools that you can, that you, you just, you need to attack your opinion and you need to bet a lot when you do have that good opinion. And that's what I was always good at. Uh, You know, a lot of people just kind of, don't attack their opinions. They're more interested in staying alive or staying afloat or, you know, having money for three races later, you know, or betting every race. But that's, that's basically one of the main things that people don't really understand is you need to bet exponentially way more money when you have a good opinion or a good opportunity than you do on lesser opportunities. And if you see, you know, most horse players, you know, if they have a great opinion, they might double their bet, which is utterly ridiculous. And uh, it's just, and that's, that's kind of what the problem is. Like, like horse players, their, their main link to failure, there's a million horse players out there that have a good opinion, but their main link to failures is, uh, you know, not understanding how to bet. And whereas you get like, Sports betters, in my estimation, is completely different. Most sports betters, their their fault in making them lose is strictly money management. Um, like if you get a sports better and he goes eight and zero and he wins two thousand dollars going eight and zero, well if he goes zero and eight he might lose ten thousand. Well, you just, I mean that tells just by pressing and whatever you know because that's the mentality in sports betting. Where horse playing, it's that you don't, it's kind of the same, but it's different because you don't attack, you don't attack when you have your best opinions. And that, that's, that's basically my philosophy. That that basically would be my number one thing to tell people to do is bet a lot when you have a good opinion. And if you need the action, bet tiny or not bet at all. 
And that's, you know, I always tell people just because they're playing a pick, just because they have a pick five or a pick four or a pick six, you don't have to play it if you don't like it. It'd be much better to play, you know, $480 in a pick five that you really liked and $48 on 10 pick fives that you don't like. And people just, people in racing just don't understand that. How much in those situations where you had a strong opinion that was obviously backed up by handicapping or data or looking at horses in the yard or whatever it might be, what element of all of this is your intuition and just the the gut feeling component that comes into it? Yeah, uh, intuition, like that's that's basically what I use right now. Intuition is, intuition shouldn't be your strongest opinion. It should just be, when, when you have when when I used to have strong opinions and I have very few of them now, the only strong opinions I have is knowing a good sequence, but that's, that's from looking at it from a betting standpoint and not from like a handicapping standpoint right now. I, that's kind of what I just go off of is intuition just to navigate what I need to do to be profitable given the situation that I'm in and given myself by like I said, not doing much work at all before the race and just having a feel for, you know, what a good bet is. And, but if you're doing the work, if you're doing the work and you love something, intuition's pretty much, you know, a secondary factor in my mind because you've passed intuition by having a great opinion. And, uh, you, you know, then you just need to learn how to bet it, bet it correctly. Uh, intuition is kind of in my, in my, it would be like a, a medium thing. It wouldn't be the greatest. It wouldn't be the worst, but that's what I, that's what I have to go on just years of experience and intuition. And that, that's what I, that's what I use, but, uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's not, like I said, having a strong opinion is better than intuition in my, in my view, but intuition can help you get through what you need to, if you're just kind of doing what I'm doing, because that's basically what I use right now. And I, you know, I'm, I, I could be so much better, but there's only so many hours in a day, so I can't do it. And I'm never really worked with anybody. And, you know, I just, I'm just a solo guy. That's what I do. And that's what I've always done. Did you ever feel uneasy or uncomfortable when you had some of those big bets or big race days where you were outlaying a lot of money or were you able to always have a pretty steady focus throughout? Yeah, I I don't really get uncomfortable and that's what I talked about when I was young. You need, you know, you need to be fearless and you know, you just that's one of the things you have to just talking about this earlier with somebody like you need when you can learn the fearlessness when it doesn't matter, it's so much more powerful than trying to learn it when it does matter. And that's one of the things you kind of need to be when you're gambling at a top level, because when you feel you have an edge, you need to believe in it and you just say, Hey, I'm right here and I've got to go with it. And that's kind of like the fearlessness. And obviously when you feel that way, you tend to bet more than you probably should. And, you know, it can impact you and you just need to get, you basically need to numb yourself to what it can or can't do or what it can and actually does to you. You know, when you're, when you're gambling, it's just, you just need to believe in yourself that you're going to win. And that's kind of where the fearlessness comes in. And like you said, I learned that at an early age and it's, it's something that betters need to have. There are betters that don't have it. And the betters that I've seen that are good that, that don't have it, it, it actually holds them back because they don't do as good on something when they should be doing better than they are. How narrow do you think people should think about focusing when it comes to racing? Obviously, there's a lot of racetracks around the world. There's even a number of betting options. When we were talking about earlier with the the exchange, certainly other parts of the world, there's obviously paramutuals and then many different options within that. Many parts of the world, there's fixed odds as well, and each of those comes with their own triggers and trends and, and signals from that. 
are you one to focus pretty narrowly on things or are you happy to dip your toe into many different areas to try and learn and pick up things and then bring them back internally so you can make better decisions? Oh yeah. I, I, I'm willing to do whatever I think I can have an edge on or whatever, you know, I think that there might be some weakness on whoever's, you know, booking the bets or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much my entire life, you know, dip my toes in whatever, you know, any gambling game that I, think I have an edge on, you know, and, you know, that's why, how I got involved with Best Fair when it first started, because I read about it and I said, Hey, this, you know, this sounds great. And, you know, I investigated it and went there and fixed odds. Obviously I haven't got too involved in that because that's basically, that's basically overseas and kind of, you know, it's very tough. Bet fair was a little bit easier because you can get total computers offsite and stuff like that when it first came out. But the the other stuff, it's the fixed odd stuff. It's winners. I mean, it's losers only. They bar winners. Uh, everybody I know that's a winning player elsewhere, like you know, gets barred or limited. It, it happens here now uh, in sports, as everybody is seeing. Uh, yeah, just. You know, I'm, you know, I've played poker and, you know, bet sports also. And, uh, you know, whatever with racing, you know, there just isn't that many new opportunities on the horizon. You'll, you'll see bets here get introduced that are terrible. And, you know, just like jackpot bets, jackpot pick sixes, racing roulette, which are just bad for, people betting him and like racing roulette that was a loser from the moment they introduced it but yeah they you know they're just there's just not a lot of options right now it's 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 contracting they should fix what they should racing should racing should attempt to fix what they have right now rather than making more you know if if a restaurant is serving bad food they should fix the bad food they're serving rather they should try to make the bad food they're serving better than introducing more bad food. And that's the problem with racing in North America. At least they keep introducing more bad food to the menu instead of trying to make the food that they're serving more palatable to their customers. Follow up question for you. If you were to be the CEO of the, American Horse Racing Wagering Authority. We just make that up. You have a 10-year contract and you're being paid $100 million per year because it's a very important task. And you have the authority over all racing bodies and people and groups in the US. From a wagering point of view, what some of the things that you would think about to implement over that 10 years or at least to talk to different racetracks or racing bodies or groups or wagering providers about to try and reinvigorate things? Well, first thing, first thing, as everybody knows, I would do is lower takeout because racing has competition. I would have lower takeout before they have competition, but now they have competition, which is staggering. Uh, you have to, become price competitive with your competition. You can't racing tries to say we're price competitive with other tracks, but it's, it's really scary when they say that because they need to be price competitive with their competition. Their competition isn't other tracks. So is very price competitive, uh, or it should be, how's that? It should be, even though it's becoming kind of not, recently from the way things are going uh you know dfs is way less takeout poker's way less takeout obviously so it's it's competition is much better price so you'd have to get the pricing down on racing drastically not just you know a couple points here or there it would have to be halved if not more um so that would be the first thing i'd do but then you need to get more eyeballs on your product. So you need to get exchanges. You need to get on mainstream TV. You basically just need to get the snowball rolling because right now, the way the takeout is 
any new eyes on the game or anybody interested in the game get, gets killed immediately because they just can't overcome the price that the racing is charging for their bets. It's just impossible. You need to make things easier on beginners to get interested and to keep going, not just kill them instantly. And that's what racing does. And that's its main problem. You can't have, you know, you can't have a blended 22% takeout and say, Hey people, come on in, learn our game. Uh, They just get, they get slaughtered instantly. And the only way people stay is just basically becoming almost addicted to it, which that's never going to hold the business over for the long run. You need to have, have growth. So you need, first thing is lower the takeout. Everything else you you can fix, you can fix, you know, the mirror on the car, you can fix, you can paint the car, but if the engine's blown, which is the takeout and the, the betting product that you're offering, nothing else you do is going to make that car a good car. And that's what racing doesn't understand. You know, they, they bring people, they do things to bring people in and then they, they kill them. And you can't do that. You need to have a competitive product and make people winners. Some people have to win. And right now racing has, you know, so, so few people win that it's just incredible that anybody comes back. I, I can't imagine betting on races and losing every year. I just, you know, I can't imagine people doing that. It just makes no sense to me because that's, but that's what 99.99% of the people do. They might make a score here and there, but over the long run, I, you know, they're losing. And it's just, it's just sad that racing's become that. And you would think that with the other, with other forms of competition out, other forms of gambling, right now, coming on board that they have to compete with, they're still doing nothing. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's just a bad situation. And I, I feel sad for, for racing and the people that run it and they just don't understand gambling and don't understand anything about their product. What about for younger gamblers? Obviously it's challenging if they're betting into blended 22% takeout pools when they're learning how to do it and they're not going to be on the positive side of things generally anyway. So that makes it a challenge, but what advice would you have for them or, or what would you suggest about educating yourself? If you are in that, in that range and you want to learn how to potentially build up your acumen in this space. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. Why we're getting no younger betters is because they are educated. And as weird as that sounds, they have information at their fingertips and, you know, there's takeout rates out there and, you know, there's people that talk about horse racing and the consensus on that is basically nobody wins. So young betters see that I've sat around at poker tables with younger people and I've told them I bet horses for a living, horses for a living. And they just laugh at me. It's like, well, how do you win? I go years of experience and, you know, they don't, they don't believe you, but after, if 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 you if you play with them long enough, other people will tell them that yeah he does win, and they can't believe it. And horse racing just kind of has a stigma to it that nobody wins. And younger betters realize that, and if they do any research on it, they realize what the what the barrier to entry is on cost for data. If there's even any data out there they can do anything with, I'm not a big data guy, but all the younger generation is. Uh, you can develop younger fans that come out to the track once of a year, once a month maybe, and will bet their $2 to have a good time, but that's not going to create any growth. You need younger bettors that become, I don't want to say lifetime gamblers, but steady gamblers on your product. And that's what needs to replace the older generation, which is dying off. And racing has none of that. And they don't have it because of years and years of killing everybody off. If 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 a younger person like my grandparents took me to track and they lost all the time, but I became interested in it because I looked at everybody else playing and realized I was smarter than them. But 
I spent years and years of doing that before I could win and studying, studying, studying. And I didn't have any, I'm not saying I didn't have any other options, but that was my option. I had one option. That was it. Now other people have other options and they just gravitate to those. So that's why racing is in big trouble with the younger generation. And, you know, they'd be much better off going to sports betting, even though I have problems with that because that's the one thing about racing. That's the beautiful thing about racing is if you get good at it and you can win, nobody can tell you you can't play anymore. Poker's kind of like that, except now the bigger games are private. And so technically they can tell you you can't play, but sports betting, obviously, as you know, they tell you you're winner, you're out. Uh, you see all the things that all the betters are going through, having to get partners and everything like that. And, but that's the beautiful thing about racing is if you're good at it, you can wake up, go to your office, not have to deal with anybody and just sit, sit in your office and win. And like, that's, that is the one thing that racing has going for it. But there are very few people that can do that. And I wish they would make it a gambling game to where more people could do that. But given the parameters of high takeout, many years of learning and everything else, every other hurdle they throw up, deteriorating products, stuff like that, it's just impossible for the younger generation to get to any kind of a level like that. Let me throw a very extreme hypothetical scenario at you. Let's just say we were able to put you in that position I referenced earlier and you were able to lower takeout to 0% across the country. Extrapolate out over months and years and what impact that might have if, if the overall takeout was 0% and racing bodies were then forced to make money on ticket sales or broadcast rights or, or other things that were different to purely gambling. Yeah, I don't think that's possible. I just don't think that's... Some tracks could lower to 0% because they get 90, 96% of their money from uh, slot welfare. So their betting is, you know, doesn't even matter. Uh, but the industry as a whole still needs betting and they still need to derive revenue from it. Uh, basically, if you could just, if you could just get takeout down, I mean, it's never going to happen, but let's say you could possibly get takeout down to 5%. Well, if you could get takeout down to 5%, there would be a million more people that would start playing races. There's gambling dollars out there that want to come play at a game that they can win. I'll give you an example. Whenever there's any carryover in the country, everybody find, everybody that wants to bet to possibly win comes in and plays those carryovers. The pools, the, the it just shows you, you can get, you can get a $10,000 carryover at a place and they'll bet a hundred thousand dollars into that pool. Whereas obviously the pool with no carryover before, you know, had 15,000, 12, $15,000 on it, depending on takeout, whether they paid a consolation. At it. So you'll get pools off of a $10,000 carryover that will increase by five, 10 times. And, and this is a rate. This happens every day all over every, every day, every track, it happens consistently because all takeout, all carryovers are is a takeout reduction. So the money's there if you give people opportunity and just, it doesn't need to be 0%. I mean, I'm not, I'd never, I'd never argue for that. But once you increase, once you can, once you get takeout down and you get increased interest, increased handle, uh, increase eyeballs, increase the popularity of racing, then the other things will come. Like you said, TV revenue. Right now, racing basically has to pay to be on TV on most venues uh, or mo most events. Uh, if racing became more popular, they would derive revenue from TV because popular sports derive revenue. That's all there is to it. So it's just, it, it's a snowball effect, but racing is a gambling game and you have to make the gambling part of it, the focus. 
and not only the focus, but you have to, you have to, you know, rev up the growth in the gambling section and then all the other parts of it rise. with it. And it's just, it's very simple. I mean, but you know, that's the problem. Gambling and racing is basically, I don't, I don't even, I'd say it's secondary to them, but I don't, I, I just don't even know. I don't even know how it couldn't be primary to racing. And for some reason it's secondary best. Yeah, and it's a similar trend in many other parts of the world, certainly people I've spoken to. Uh, we could talk for hours, but I, I will let you go. I just have one one more question for you on networking and whether it's in the early days when you were probably frequenting many different tracks and, and getting to know many new people and having conversations then or even nowadays with uh, you just described sitting in the office potentially and being able to bet and making money, how valuable or important has it been to build a network or is it something that you've relied on over the years at all? Yeah. I mean, I have, I, I have a very small network compared to most people. Uh, you know, and that comes from kind of what I just said. I just kind of keep to myself and, you know, just wake up and go bed horses and in my office. And when I went to the track, I mean, I know a million people, uh, from my younger days of the track, I see them, you know, I go, if I ever go to the track, which I go once in a blue moon now, you know, I'll, get 50 people coming up to me say, Hey, how you been? As, but as of people I deal with from when I used to go to track, it's very few, five, 10, 15, somewhere in that range tops. Um, I, I know, I know them. I talk to them once in a while, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a big network of people. Uh, I just don't. And, uh, most of the people I deal with now I've met after the track to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big network. I have, you know, a few close friends and that's basically it. Um, whereas I know, I know a lot of people that are into racing have a big network of people they deal with. Uh, uh, like I said, I just try to keep, I try to keep like an inner circle of people that I deal with and that's it. And that's, I told you that's one of the beauties of racing. I don't have to deal with anybody. I don't have to rely on anybody. I just have to rely on myself, basically. And that's why racing, that's why being good at racing is great. And I could have gravitated to these other things and I, other gambling games, and I have before and I've done them all. And, but I, you know, I've always done racing because of that factor. You basically, you know, you're, you're, you are the one in charge, or at least I am. And that's, that's the thing I like best. I don't have to sit with other people at the poker table that I don't want to be with. Um, I don't have to be worried about told, told I can't bet anymore in sports or have to deal with people that don't pay me, stuff like that. I mean, it's just so much easier betting horses. It's so much easier for me betting horses. If you can win at all of them, I'm picking everybody's picking horses because you don't have to deal with the other stuff. But that's the problem is that there's very few people that can win betting on horses. Seems like they all have their own individual issues, but we'll, we'll save the further discussion for another day. I'd love to have you on again. I want to thank you for coming on and appreciate uh, all of your time and insights for the podcast. All right. Perfect. Jake. Yeah. I, I like your show. I've listened to a bunch of them and I, I like how you're just on topic and, talking to people that know what they're talking about and basically staying, you know, off of the fluff topics and just talking, you know, hardcore stuff that is truth and, you know, accurate. So just wanted to let you know that. Much appreciated. Thank you very much.